This episode of Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our incredible patrons, patrons like Phil Holmes and Basim Nognog. If you want to help us keep making the show like they do, you can visit us at pitchdrop.cash and contribute as little as a buck a month. We really appreciate it. Did you just say pitchdrop.cash? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> just in case. Here we go. Pitchdrop.cash. You are listening to Lightning Strikes Thrice, the JRPG Games Club podcast that forgot to add the G. This is Season uh-huh. 8, Episode 3, covering the Cat Testing Ground in Xenosaga Episode 3. Cannot wait for Cat 2.0. <laughs> I'm your host, Chris Taylor, and my pronouns are he, him. With me today is... Sybil Arnett, she, her. Ryan Beatty, they, them. Matt Marcus, he, him. Someone tell me what happened last episode. Shion Uzuki has left Vector Industries and become a member of the Totally Not a Rebellion Skientia, turning her former co-worker Miyuki to act as a double agent so they can continue to access Vector systems for data heists. Meanwhile, Cosmos is about to be handed off to the military, and Shion is invited to see her surrogate channel one final time. Elsewhere, Junior and company head for a floating chunk of lost Jerusalem called Ren Le Chateau, but an encounter with Margulis strands the ship and leaves our team waiting for backup from the Durandal. So, we're finally at the end of the prologue, except we have an opening credit sequence that has the monologue of, like, everything that the game thinks that you need to know in case you didn't play a missing year or didn't read any of the data logs. And so Shion hops into her ES, she blasts off into space, we get some pretty music and some credits, and then we get a lot of backstory. So things to note are the Lemigeton program, which is an old Earth era designed to harness Zohar power. And then also it goes over the whole like grimoire gnosis terrorism subplot that made her leave and also her dad's involvement, which then totally kind of makes a very frustrating and irritating cliffhanger where she goes, no, I didn't leave to spite my father. It was because I... And then Shion stops talking and the title drop occurs, Xenosaga Episode 3, ending the scene. Boo. (laughs) Finish your sentence. We are now on the Federation Orbital Spaceport, where if we want to advance the story, we can meet Alan at a hotel. This is Fifth Jerusalem, but can't yet Descending to the planet will switch protagonists. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the gamer dimension because we are presented with a screen full of Udu, which I, I don't like the phrasing of anything full of Udu. That just makes me very uncomfortable for some reason. It looks 
looks even more like the album cover now yep. than it did last yep. game. It's uh-huh. just it's Loveless Land. That's that's oh, all yeah, I think about. Res. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do the same meme twice, unfortunately. And you can see like a kid in it. Oh, is there like, like in a, the center? Oh, like like a, like a, a black a, outline. Mm-hmm. It looks it looks like young Albedo. I'm going mm-hmm. to look this up. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember seeing anything this. in there. Yeah. No, I definitely saw it because I uh, left it on for several hours while I was posting instead of uh, preparing for the podcast. Hmm. <laughs> As is, you uh, do. <laughs> I definitely don't see a kid in it. I just pulled this up on YouTube. It was in the most recent one, like on the elevator. Okay. Yes. Definitely not in the Guinan one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, give it, give it up the ghost here. Guinan appears in profile here. Uh, Udu has presented presented itself to Guinan, and he's not thrilled with the whole situation. And he ends the scene by breaking down, crying, and like he he's trying to say like no, go away, and he's not getting any response. Suddenly, we cut to Citrine waking up Doctor Yuriev, and she asks him, "Are you feeling all right, sir?" And he has this line of, "I'm fine. I'm just having a little trouble with my son." <laughs> fucking incredible the implication here is that when Guinan goes into the sunken place inside Yuriev's consciousness the sunken place is Udu which is uh, fucked up to think about just like this this eternal alien consciousness being inside the head of your dad who just took over your body Mm -hmm. so alternate thought on that and I actually forget if that's how this goes, but uh, it could just be that Yuriev has become a weird wave existence, and that's what he's being tormented by. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, I could see that. So he's like, it looks like Udu because it is Udu, but it's because his consciousness itself is a wave existence. Yeah. It okay. again, I forget exactly how this plot ends, so I'm just throwing that out there as discussion. I mean, that that would make sense given how he can tell that Roth has, you know, the wave essence on him or whatever. He's got wave stink. Mm-hmm. For some Swafty reason, my Yuriev is just the emperor from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Palpatine. Yeah. <laughs> He's got wave stink on him. Go kill. God, God, th- th- this scene coming up, I just... The voice acting is just so fucking delicious. The voice on Heinlein is incredible. No, Heinlein's voice is like, I didn't like Heinlein's voice, but like when it's, no, it's and- so bad for him being the leader of the space religion. No, That's I- why it's incredible. It's so oh. funny. Oh, okay. Because I'm talking about, here, let, let's get through this scene. I don't talk about the scene that I'm actually talking about. But anyway. Yuriev has begun his research again, and the doctor is waiting in the ward, and the two depart to meet him. And I guess this you can make this a Doctor Who reference. I don't I don't I don't get this one civil. <laughs> the doctor? That was just all they called him just for the doctor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah Do- doctor Who is not actually called Doctor Who in Doctor Who. His name is the Doctor. The Doctor. And so the yeah. title of the show is Doctor Who, because he's just the Doctor. You know, I I've seen two seasons of it, and I just was like, okay, I don't just go automatically, the Doctor equals Doctor Who, so I guess I'm not yeah. who-billed yet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're not a super who-lock who in the year of our Lord, 2021? 
I feel like I feel like people who are hoopilled are people who like see the secrets of the universe by watching Horton Hears a Who. Not even reading it, but watching it. God. Jim Carrey speaks to me. Ah, <laughs> uh, but it turns out that to cut all of that. <laughs> <laughs> that is. That is my decision, Chris. I have the power. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, so the Doctor is not Doctor Who, but is Sellers. And the game expects me to know who this is. He's for the we last game. We jokes about his giant space wheelchair ramp in the last game. Yeah. <laughs> I No, I wasn't there for that one. Oh. <laughs> I thought Matt was off that week. Oh, well. No, I would, whatever. And the p- point is, like, yeah, this is a Peter Sellers reference, <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm. But, like... We talk about like two guys with extreme villain voice, like just villaining at each other for an entire scene. It is God, really it's so good. good. Like I'm, it, I'm yeah. gonna try to cut Excellent. in some of it. Yeah, it's so. It's like I was loving it. So you finally decided to come listen to me, Dmitri Yuryev. I see you're as unfriendly as ever, Sellers. I don't have much time. Just tell me the results. You're as bad as Mongulis. You commanders are so inflexible. You know what it is? It's that scene where, uh, what is that guy's name? The 13-2 villain? Oh, um, Caius. Caius. Yeah, it's like, it's like the scene where Caius is there at the birthday party. It's incredible. (laughs) Love people in villain voice having normal conversations. Also, I love his dumb glasses. He's like, what's his name in that Netflix movie with the tiny glasses? The zombie Mm -hmm. movie? Or he's, or he's like those glasses and that face shape is also very much one of the Cenobites in Hellraiser 2 as well. Yeah, he <laughs> does have um, butterball energy. Yes, yes, totally yes. Of course I know Cenobite name names is. offhand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that checks out, Sybil. Everybody knew that way in advance. <laughs> <laughs> and it, uh, he says, I see you as unfriendly as ever, Sellers. I don't have much time. Just tell me the results. Yeah, as bad as Magulus. You commanders are so inflexible. And they just like do this at each other for a while. It's um, great. Yeah. It's very I, good. I, I had a really cursed thought is what if there were like NFT um, images, but it's just different Cenobites getting mixed up? <laughs> it, listen, you know that happened, right? No. <laughs> oh, no the, I saw um, that there's, there's the guy who like, there was the, um, oh, what was it? Crypto guys with glasses, and then there was the image of that one guy. <laughs> no, incredibly short story. Uh, the Hellraiser rights are going to revert soon, but the people who've been churning them out like shit have just been trying to make every dime off it possible before that. Oh, no. So Sorry, they... I have to go post NFTs nuts in a Discord. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So they put the character of Pinhead into Dead by Daylight, started selling NFTs related to this and then claimed, no, no, we're not related to the game. We're just using it as marketing for this. And everyone basically sat in a pile of shit about this whole thing. Oh my God. Was that God. Dead by Daylight? Uh, yes. God, the game is so bad. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's also now just an asset factory for people trying to make a quick buck off of whatever rights they own. Well, that's what it was, but for the studio also, to be well, fair. Yes. Absolutely, but now now other people are getting in on the game. <laughs> Don't worry, we're safe. The good version of that game is coming out soon, and it's Dragon Ball. Mm. Friday the 13th game, I wanted to be good so bad. I Thanks. understand why people play that. There needs to be a game like that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, well designed. The 13 one was pretty good until the studio stuff happened. All of the asymmetric multiplayer games I want to be good are never good. Like, never wanted a game to be good like I wanted Evolve to be good. Oh my god. Oh, rip to Evolve. Rip to everything Turtle Rock and uh, has, has done since Left 4 Dead 2. To be fair, their current one is way worse than their original one. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It, tur- it turns out when you don't have infinite money and time being propped up by Valve, it's hard to make a good one of these. Yeah. Yeah, but there's definitely stuff in Back for Blood that is not a money problem so much as a do you have any good designers problem? <laughs> yeah. It seems that whatever the tests being run are, it's a Yuriev special. Ormus is uninvolved and Vector has been cut out of the plan, both of which Sellers says would prove very helpful. Whatever it is also involves a pilot and a Zohar emulator and was scavenged from the ruins of Milsha. Wonder what that could be. The pilot sink is terrible, and uh, that's because Ormus set it up to work with an aging priest. It probably needs new <laughs> calibration. They've also developed the Merkaba. It's very funny to me that it's just called Merkaba, and uh-huh. the last one was Proto Merkaba. Very oh, yeah. good. <laughs> the Proto Merkaba named that for symbolism. Merkaba named that because it's not a prototype anymore. <laughs> 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 Makes perfect sense. Uh, the Merkaba will need some sort of an opponent. Yuriev says he has one, and it's perfect to silence the fools who support Vector. Or the last game, and um, nobody can just shoot their shot directly, just talking around it. Bunch uh, of assholes. Yeah. So, like, okay, two things. One is that Takahashi never gets over this. He In every single game, he loves having shadowy villains speaking mysteriously, all in charge of secret organizations, foreshadowing things so cryptically that, like, we... You don't need this scene because it doesn't actually say anything. It says something, but it's just mm-hmm. like Takahashi keeps doing this shit. It's just like, you know, buddy, I'm 85 hours into Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and still don't know who the architect is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, this, he he is a withholding motherfucker who loves villains. It, it must be his king. Yeah, right? it has to be. <laughs> um, the. The second thing that I want to say is that I was so goddamn disappointed when I read Seller's database entry because it makes him seem like such a less interesting villain because a lot of his motivation is just to be better than Mizrahi, who uh, was his mentor. Like, he... An hour ago, we were talking about characters who have that exact same relationship, and you're like, it's the best. Yeah, because of fucking, like, (laughs) ridiculous, silly anime rival reasons that tonally work in Final Fantasy XIV, and here it does not tonally work for me. Yeah, I love Jin and Margulis, but I do not like Sellers and Mizrahi, where Sellers, this mysterious villain, just wants to be better than Mizrahi, who died. The problem is, is that Mizrahi already sucks. Yeah. And also that, like, the game is pointing us to the fact that he was secretly a good guy trying to save the world, whereas everyone else was trying to destroy it. Also, just based on one of your comments in there and earlier in this scene, in this game, all the villains are catty as fuck to each other, and it's great. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's some characters later in this update, and one of them almost starts making a jerk-off motion while the other is talking. (laughs) It's the uh-huh. real housewife, the real housewives of the immigrant fleet. <laughs> uh, uh, 
So at Vector, Alan has left to go meet Shion in the city. Togashi, who is our returning scientist in that division now that Miyuki has left, is shit-talking the boss with a new hire. He should just tell her he loves her already, at a time like this, my god. Turns out Cosmos is going to be used as a weapon for that thing, and for the same reason Yuriev just said, to silence parliament members who support the company. I can't believe they're using the product of our stress and caffeine as a political tool. (laughs) (laughs) But we cut back to Shion, who has just landed on Fifth Jerusalem. And then we get to run around and talk to NPCs, and they have this cool thing where two NPCs will be talking to each other and have an entire conversation. But at certain points, you can press square to interrupt and have a whole different conversation, some of which is like, why are you eavesdropping on us? Is very funny to me. <laughs> uh-huh. I want to point out that one of the first conversations that you can do this with is two dock workers clowning on Alan. They were like, did you just see that total fucking nervous loser who seemed to be like really nervous about meeting the chief? What a fucking loon. It was, God, so good. Alan getting owned by strangers everywhere he goes. Alan just gets owned, period. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Like, I feel bad for However, him. he has one person below him in the hierarchy this time, and it's Miyuki. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that feels really out of place. It does. Yeah. The other thing that I want to say, because this is the first time that we're, like, really controlling Xion in her Xenosaga 3 outfit instead of her swimsuit or the Vector outfit, is that, God, if Xenosaga Episode 2 wasn't dog shit, and therefore Xenosaga Episode 3 sold as well as Episode 1, I think that Xion in Episode 3 would be an enormously popular cosplay character, because this looks like the exact kind of outfit that cosplayers would love to build for themselves. Okay, Uh, I hate the dumb heart cutout, by the way. I hate that. Oh, wait, in the the shorts? Yeah. Ah, I'm I'm into it because it looks, to me, to me, it looks like a bodysuit tucked into shorts, which is a thing that people do in the year of our Lord 2021. So, works for me. You're damn right I do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i'm on record saying that i like this um this like re-outfit thing although it is kind of weird that like yeah the bodysuit kind of has like a bodice like it it's a little weird but like i like the high tops yeah i like the jacket but i hate the choker that doesn't go the whole way around that's weird to me mm. well that's part of the bodysuit also... is the thing no it's not it's not attached at all i thought it was it looks like the same thing that's no. over her hips I also love the very subtle implication in your commentary, Ryan, that her episode two outfit was just the swimsuit. Why would you wear anything else? I meant ah! that her I meant that her outfit on the beach was the swimsuit. And so this is the first time that we're like using her outfit as outfit in this game. But yes, also she was rocking the swimsuit the whole time because of the stats in episode two. <laughs> There is a cafe you can pass on the way to the hotel. It has a giant X on the menu, and there's a password required for the secret one. Put a pin in this. Uh, just want to say, shout-outs to the hotel, having those lights of, like, five spherical uh, orbs. You just get to oh, yeah. square and blow mm-hmm. them all up. Fucking incredible. Yeah. yeah. And one of, go at least one of them, in there. At least one of them has an item in it each time. I do it every yeah. time I go uh-huh. to or from the hotel. Love it. Yeah.
So I really, I like this town section because it funnels you towards the linear path, but then also there are some pretty wide diverticula. And because of the way that Xenosaga's city maps work, which is kind of like Shin Megami Tensei and also Chrono Trigger, where, you know, you're looking at an extremely zoomed out map and then there are nodes that you can go to. It makes Fifth Jerusalem feel like a big bustling city in ways that like Second Milsha sometimes didn't, which I love. But then, even in gameplay, right? Like when you go to the park, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. They visually pay off what they were trying to sell in the cutscene at the opening of two. Hundred percent. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it it feels like a real place. It's good town ecology, even if there aren't like robust side quests or anything. It's cool. But the main thing we want to talk about here is you hear kids like talking about like the new most popular game and parents being kind of exasperated at this new most popular game that the kids are really into. And the where you find it is in an extremely boring museum about the Merkaba oh. project. Uh -huh. <laughs> I love that museum. I love that museum. Oh, I spent an hour and a half oh. in there reading all of it. Uh, I hate. <laughs> yeah, I hate that museum, and I spent an hour and a half in it reading all of it because none of the information was interesting to me. Uh, but by it's the way, like, like is, is it the first kid that mentions Hackox? Is his name like Wood? Oh, I didn't notice. Probably. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like a weird name that like isn't a person's name, and it's like, oh man, Wood's really into Hackox, and then his father's just yeah. like giving him shit about it. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. The guy right outside the museum's name is Void. <laughs> well, that kind of owns though. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone here just loves Chinese, uh, Chinese zodiac. Uh -huh. It's very good because Void is right there talking to Ron. <laughs> Void and Ron. Um, all right. So Hack Ox is in a giant arcade machine in this museum, and it is the running minigame that goes through this game. It's very robust and sick, but there is no reason why this should be the most popular video game in the Star Cluster. Yes, Just there is. <laughs> okay. Okay. This shit rules. <laughs> so, I really hate this. It is a it is a real time like node management or not node management, but it's a real time like puzzle game that is kind of like a cross between 3D Lemmings and Choo Choo Rocket. The game gives you a certain amount of characters on each, on each stage, and there is a threshold that you have to get into the goal to clear the level. The spawn will give a warning before one arrives where like there's a little voxel cube that will spin down onto the spawns thing and you can speed that up and you can also speed their movement up and they follow preset rules they always turn right at a t-junction they always turn around at dead ends and that's mainly they go it. straight through pluses yeah they go straight through pluses they can walk down slopes but not up and so that creates one-way paths to <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to kind of render the third dimension relevant. Also, if a character walks down a slope, they often fall off the level entirely. <laughs> this the sound effect much... that Momo makes when she falls off a cliff. Uh -huh. <laughs> so dramatic. <laughs> so the, voice, the voiceover for everything in Hackox, there's so many lines for every character for all different things. I love how much effort is put into this. So the uh -huh. undub... Uh, the undub still uses the English voices for this, so it was Good. jarring, but it's it, it, it was amazing to hear Momo's scream and to hear Ziggy's bark, which I see is mentioned later, which is great. So the complication for me 
is that you zoom in to kind of get a better handle on your surroundings using R3, but I had mapped Turbo to R3 so that I can... (laughs) And so every time I try to zoom in, everything just like goes to shit. Uh, It was great. Did you also have like the speed up on too? Like the in-game speed up? Oh yeah, no, yeah. Hold, holding, holding the shoulder buttons, holding L two, and and triggering R three, and then just like everyone falls <laughs> just off, just everything dies in a second. Yeah, yeah. If your ability to see all of the field at once was better, I would like this. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you do have to do some camera management sometimes. I don't. It's a I don't little. Do that. And, and there's like no way to pause it to like get a feel for it before it starts throwing it at you. So I, yeah, I understand that this is a mini game, so they didn't spend as much time on it as they could have, but it's close enough to being like a game I would play that the camera bothers me a lot. So some of the later stages, the challenge is that you need to figure out how best to set up the camera so you can see multiple layers of people running around. (laughs) Which is... (laughs) Like, honestly, like, I think it would be better if there were, maybe there were, like, three fixed camera angles that had those you know those shots that you needed and you could just flip yeah like 90 degree rotates right or something like that yeah because then the later stages almost turn into like an increpare game like a james laval you know how do you manipulate the camera in order to break the rules that i've created in order to beat this stage kind of like english country tune steven sausage roll shit i was Uh, going to say Shion sausage roll Uh, no, that's yeah. Alan. <laughs> no, <laughs> Alan, <laughs> Alan, look, we, we all know Alan is the cinnamon roll of the series. Come on now. I don't, I don't know what that is, and I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> it's the thing that you jizz on to get it glazed. <laughs> yes, let's go with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but the, the real challenge with the game comes when you have control of these gimmicks, which are these blocks that are mapped to your four face buttons on your controller. So basically you press them one way and they move in one direction, you let it go and it releases back. And yeah, as we mentioned, a lot of this involves like taking control of the camera, making sure you're looking at the right angles and it gets real crazy when you have multiple bodies running around and you're trying to have like all of them survive or if you're trying to like optimize with speed where you're trying to like get them so that they all hit the blocks at the same time perfectly because you do have control when the person actually hits the stage once the uh the spawn starts like you can just go hit the button and the spawn starts you can fuck yourself over pretty pretty badly especially if you're like me and you just like I'm just going to have the speed up on all the time but yeah this can get real hairy real fast uh especially when you're trying to get all the timings right there's Six courses of 10 stages throughout the game. Uh, Clearing a whole course will earn you a reward. And for now, we can only do the beginner stage, which when you clear it, you get decoder two and a skill upgrade A. And if you try to go into the other ones, it like makes fun of you, which is funny. Oh, God, there's decoders behind these. God damn it. Only this first one. However, however. Junior's ultimate weapon is behind the fifth one, and one of the Fuck best him. accessories in the game is behind the sixth. Okay, what I thought you were gonna, I thought you were going to say Erde Kaiser three parts are are in these. No, no, no. Braveheart is the accessory on the final one, and it is a plus three to boost gauge with I think some crit effects. Oh shit! 
Yeah. yeah, it's very good. It's it's a fun game. Like when I finished it, I was like, "All right, I wanted to keep playing," and then it was like, "Nope, sorry, you got to play more of the actual game first. Yeah, your victory screen anytime you clear a course is congratulations. Play Xenosaka three. <laughs> <laughs> I also love the voice lines because, yeah, everyone has a spawn line, a death line, one when they get bumped or get launched around. You can launch people with the gimmicks by just letting go or, like, shoving them. That's how you have to solve some puzzles. Yeah, I definitely discovered that on accident and realized that that, like, saved me a lot of time on one of the courses in the first section here. (laughs) Where it's just like, oh, I can... the spiral? Yeah, you can just knock one down a ramp. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and that, like, saves saves a potential death trap or like, you know, goes around it and makes the whole course faster. And I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that every time now. Yeah. Speedrunners of this have discovered, oh, if you get good with the physics, you can actually short circuit a couple of these. Yeah, Damn. it owns actually. Uh, my favorite line is definitely Ziggy's spawn is, is there a need for me to do this? It's great. The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, after you're done messing around with Hackocks and whatnot and running around, you go to the hotel. And when you're there, within seconds of meeting up, Xi'an is already chewing Alan out, this time for still calling her chief. How dare you be deferential to me? He mentions, (laughs) it's really hard to change what I call you after years, and her reply is just, really? Seems easy to me. (laughs) Bitch, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just fucking alan is the quintessential sheltered and self-centered liberal ally here he's just like dead naming folks and then and when gently correct he's like it's just so hard for me i'm so sorry i'm so sorry instead of just you know changing as a creature of habit i relate to alan here there was definitely a time where i was on alan's side in this and now it turns out that for some reason i'm uh (laughs) I'm a little more frustrated with it. (laughs) I wonder why. So much for the tolerant left. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I was never the tolerant left. (laughs) She then then accidentally hits on him as he goes, hey, I booked your room upstairs. Get some rest for the trip. I'll show you around later. Then she goes, but what if we catch up first? You can come up to the room with me. Chief, but it's a double. And he goes, yeah, well, no one expected a suite. (laughs) Oh, my God. If the... The lobby attendant's like, oh, Vector paid for this. Oh, sorry. Actually, Vector employee Alan Ridgely paid for this. (laughs) (laughs) Just here on Alan's dime for a week. God. Like, I just, I just can't with Xion's obliviousness here. Like, it has to be willful, right? Like, she has to, like, realize everything that's going on and just. It's not. No, that's so dumb. That's so dumb. I mean, literally, our people say to our face, by the way, y'all should hook up. And and she's like, huh, what are you talking about? There's, in the dinner scene later, she instantly torpedoes it because she has not put two and two together. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, (laughs) if it's like the one thing in the writing that I actually think sucks so far. It's just like, come on, Shion. Like, literally, our people are saying it to your face constantly that Alan is into you, like, Come on. Yeah, but she's a way better character in this game. She's so one track minded that like her her 
entire character has always been that, like, with the exception of Cosmos and then, you know, whatever her mission is, she's oblivious to the world around her, you know? She is absent-minded, forgets shit all the time, doesn't really think about other people. And so it, like, yes, it is infuriating, but it was also consistent to me, where it's just like, you know, she is a completely oblivious person. Yeah. Miyuki calls the second they get in the room and nearly blows her cover when she says she saw Shia just the other day. Alan's day off has been canceled because Miyuki needs weapon specs from him to prepare Cosmos for the test tomorrow. He says he'll put in for Shion to arrive as a special advisor since she left on good terms and all. Okay, two things real quick here. First of all, we find out that Vector is reimbursing damages to Cosmos and other, like, machinery, but not compensating the Vector employees for overtime, which is typical corporation bullshit. Second, mm-hmm. That's Miyuki... salary, baby. <laughs> yep. Miyuki 100% does some workplace sexual harassment to Alan all over the place when she's like, uh-huh. oh, Shion's here. Are y'all gonna fuck? And he's like, oh my god, stop it. And she, and then she keeps fucking going. Total, total ethics violation. I here. actually have a note about this later. In this. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> yes. Shit, sorry. Yeah. It's and, okay. And, we'll get there. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and look, Vector and, does not seem like they have a good HR department. No, yeah. they certainly don't. No, Vector's HR department is the blue testament. And it turns out Virgil's just like, if it's not in, you're good. Mm-hmm. Oh, the HR gross. department is the same thing as the legal team ever since that whole Kevin thing happened. Yeah. <laughs> so but before we do uh before we do a scene change i want to i want to also briefly 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 bring up two things that are kind of in the world exploration during the daytime the first is if you go to the park during the daytime there is an extremely like bratty troublemaker grandma who's uh-huh. acting like a yep. child who's like but please mr officer why can't you just or mr maintenance worker why can't you just open the sluice gate and he's like because you're gonna jump in and run through the river and she's like so and then you find <laughs> out later that like someone at the hotel is looking for his grandma and it's like yeah she uh she likes to get up to some bullshit which is <laughs> which is very funny and then also So there are, like, certain database entries about how, you know, fashion changes across different parts of the star cluster. That's all well and good. But the ladies' fashion on Fifth Jerusalem is just Harley Quinn. And it's so distracting (laughs) to me to see a bunch of fucking Harley Quinn-ass cosplayers all over this city. I hate it. Well, the problem (laughs) is, is that there are not very many character models. Yeah. Like... Like, guy with the dumb cyber glasses is in, like, five different places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do love there's, his dumb cyber glasses, though. There's a reason for this, and without revealing it, it's because we have a whole other hub planet coming up. Aha! So they wanted to make some visual differences. Mm-hmm. The other thing I love, there's an NPC I like where it's the guy outside the item shop and he goes, do you want to buy some of my items? And then if you say yes, he says, why do you think I would have any idiot? Go to the counter. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That dude rules. Love him. This is where I buy 99 potions. (laughs) Also that the item that you get for opening the sluice gate at night is just an ES uh, nano repair. Not worth it, but no, still cute. Chian then lays down for a nap and wakes up around midnight. And then you're like, oh, no, you fucked up. Going to be ruined for a week. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Chaos is called and says, oh, hey, wait. Chaos is called, and um, based on the number, Shion figures out that he's on 5th Jerusalem. And they just say, we arrived in the Durandal. Not in the Elsa. No, that's a... Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh-huh. And then uh, Shion promises to meet up with him at a cafe to catch up and find out what he's after. So, they talk, and he tells her a bit of what's up. Uh, not all of it yet. We hear on the news in the background that Ormus is openly skirmishing with the Federation in a few systems. Also, why is the news calling them Ormus? That's supposed to be top secret. They get really bad about that. Uh, yeah. Later on, Yuli Mizrahi is going to be talking about the immigrant fleet, even though the news is just like, secret society Ormus is having a war <laughs> with the galaxy. <laughs> Sorry, this shit bugs me. Might as well just said backed by Hayam's heavy industry. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. The world building gets a little sloppy in verisimilitude in order to relay the information to the viewer. Partway through this conversation, Chaos is like, uh, are you okay? You look a little pale. I'm fine. I've just been a little tired lately. Flash of red, Shion slams face first into a table. Perfect comedy. Uh-huh. I love it. <laughs> yeah. This is where the CTE begins for Shion in this episode. Uh-huh. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, she hits her head so many fucking are, times. I think we are at five, five in this recording alone. <laughs> many of them get just on concrete. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like from standing. I've started making a tally. <laughs> and she's like, I'm fine, really. It's it, fine. They're getting paid a million dollars a year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully way more than that. <laughs> oh, Shion is now in the Uduverse. Unlike Guinan, though, there is a voice here and it is calling her. Shion? Shion. Are you Shion? And uh, when she gives the affirmative, she wakes up in the hotel. Alan is waiting downstairs the next morning to get her to the demonstration. She has nearly slept through it. In the lobby, he's got a case of nerves. This new weapon is being developed under Dmitry Yuryev and a military faction, and the subcommittee that Yuli Mizrahi served on and guided the party from is being sidelined. You seem pretty nervous. Well, when you see it, Chief, I think you'll get it. (laughs) So, within seconds of arriving at the cat testing grounds, Togashi calls Alan, finds out he's with Shion, and he also starts, I had to ask my housemates, is this sexual harassment? And in perfect unison, they answered, yes. Yes. (laughs) 100% this is sexual harassment. (laughs) I hate being at the cat testing ground because... It's like Final Fantasy X Albed Home, but for six hours, I really hope you like listening to the same voice line every five seconds for six hours. In the undub, that line is not translated in the subtitles, and so it is much easier to just fade into the background. Uh, it's nice. That's so bad. It's rough. What's clear here is that Dr. Yuryev, who, again, just kind of magically showed up after 100 years and people are just kind of chill with it. They're like, huh, Yuryev's back. Weird. But also he's still allowed to be in power. He's <laughs> yeah, very clearly pulled strings to hashtag cancel Cosmos. 
And then at the same time, the military takeover of the Zohar project makes Alan feel like this whole thing is kind of fishy. And then Alan's immediately proven right as we see how fishy all of this shit is. So NPCs in the area mention that the place only has one method of transport around the base for security reasons. It's easier to control one line to make sure access is prohibited. Foreshadowing. It's, you know, it's Chekhov's elevator, Chekhov's train line. Sure, nothing will come of this. Security guards that you pass along the way mention that there's a VIP box for special guests, including Yuli Mizrahi of the Contact Subcommittee. They which also is, say, but, and also. But not you. Oh, uh-huh. but not yeah. you. No, we're not a special yeah. guest, even though we fucking designed Cosmos. And are called explicitly a special guest. Yeah. <laughs> Get the bitch seats. So we we enter the, the room on the left, which is not the special room on the right, but is instead, you know, for the regular ass visitors. And all of a sudden, cutscene vision begins and the model quality ramps up because we have one of the rare actual directed cutscenes in Xenosaga here. Xenosaga 3 here. Yeah, I do like when you first arrive seeing the eggs in the lobby, just giving you a sense of scale of like how big they are and, and intimidating, and then you get to fight them later, and it owns. Mm-hmm. Or you get to fight, like, ten of them in a row, let's go. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's... that. I like that decision, even if it's definitely a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This mock battle... Okay, first of all, just... I understand the justification for the mock battle, but I also think it's fucking stupid, because it comes back down to combat data again. Once, <laughs> once again... The, the uh-huh. plot driver here is combat data because they're just like, all right. So I don't think that's true. I think well, like, it's this, this is a, this is like purely like a political show to get Cosmos shit canned. It, it yeah. is a political move to get Cosmos shit canned, but they are also using the fact that they want more data on both Proto Omega Prime or whatever it's called in this game, and also Telos. They they want proof of their gnosis destroying capabilities as well and so it's like yes it is a political move to get cosmos shit canned but the surface level reason they say is both a demonstration to make people on fifth jerusalem feel safe against the gnosis and also combat data which when i heard that i got grumpy okay so think of it this way this is normally a weapons manufacturer showing off the shit they did. Vector, or, sorry, the Salvatore faction going, (laughs) we have designed this whole new thing. Here it is, governments. Take a look. Get us a contract. Mm -hmm. Except someone bolted on the Cosmos demonstration to also go, and let's see why you should give our money to us instead of Vector. Right. That's all that changed. I, I just right. realized that this entire sequence is Jenna Lode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Jen Lode, <laughs> and it's also Iron Man 2. So, yeah, the mock battle is being held in a massive domed arena, like an army bombing range. It's the largest demonstration arena that they have in this facility, and it's almost never used. Again, we find out that Yuriev's organization is called the Salvatore Faction, and a dark-skinned robot gal emerges from a pillar and it's like, that's what you're worried about? And Alan's like, no, this one's fine. It's the other half of this demonstration is the problem. Other half? Yeah, you'll see soon enough. And we get our first vision of Telos, the finished model of the Cosmos series project.
Well, at this point, Gnosis flood the testing area. Alan says that Vector provided these to the military, although I think you'd know more about that than me, Chief. And Shion tweaks her glasses, which apparently she still has, and just doesn't wear a lot. Mm-hmm. And she starts recording the demonstration. Well, these are Google Glass. She has contacts now, I believe is canonically how it yep. goes. Oh, yeah, really? she puts these on as a disguise, but it's just to get cameras in. Ah, gotcha. So she can see what the aliens really look like. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, oh, <laughs> only Alan knows that after he accidentally broke her glasses, she didn't need them anymore. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. But anyway, the Gnosis, who are all very angelic, and they have wings and they're flying around, they spam beans at Telos and swarm her, and it's very much the scene in End of Ava when the mass-produced Ava's swarm uh, unit O2, except Telos, like, smirks for a second and just blasts out of it unharmed and then begins cyclopsing the room to the sound of uh, one of the few tracks on this soundtrack that I actually like. <laughs> just to... Uh... To add some punch to this, these are all enemies from endgame enemies from Xenosaga too. Like the murder yeah. hallway at the end, they're mm-hmm. from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the game is paced too quickly to really camp out on this, but it is kind of horrifying that they are voluntarily bringing Gnosis in to destroy when like presence of Gnosis attracts other Gnosis. Also, it means they have a Zohar emulator somewhere in the facility, most likely. We find out like five minutes later, it's just like a really, really bad idea. And again, because this game is like three and a half games crammed into the space of one game, they can't focus on it and be like, hey, this is fucked. And so we just kind of move on. Well, some of the NPCs definitely think it's fucked because they're like, oh, yeah, they keep them in solid state in Hilbert cages. But I wonder what will happen if one of those parts ever fails. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I think we made a mistake is one of my favorite lines of this update. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mood. But uh, Alan mentions that her specs are three times that of Cosmos's and that she is the Galaxy Federation's trump card. She asks if I can have three party members. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) She asks who designed her? And uh, Alan responds, Nobody knows, not even the staff who were informed where she comes from. And it just extremely seems like somebody just stole all the data for Co- from Cosmos and then modified it. Alan is definitely a code jockey because he just wants to take her apart to try to figure out where she's from based on how the code is written. We then good meet line. Roth. Yeah, we then meet Roth Bantel, the man in charge of the T-Weapon program. And in a skybox, Yuri Evans Sellers are there. Yuriev spies found nothing on Mantel but a resume. And Sellers says, I know the faces of everyone in my train, and I've never seen him before. Yuriev says he can feel their waves off the man. And we learn that Yuriev can sniff out or migrant fleets or Orbis individuals based on their proximity to Zohar waveforms, and Mantel is lousy with them. This motherfucker said Ormigrant Fleet. <laughs> I was trying not to say that exactly. <laughs> okay, so this is one of the first like concrete differences that we get between the Federation people and the Immigrant Fleet people because, you know, both descended from Lost Jerusalem, but then they split apart and the Immigrant Fleet 
feels more connected to the Zohar and has made it their like life's purpose, whereas the Federation goes in their own way, moves on, and all of that. But like the fact that the immigrant fleet and Ormus individuals can feel Zohar waves where Federation people can't is a pretty concrete difference. But we go back to the battle demonstration, and a more human cosmos walks out onto the battlefield. Suddenly, the center of the arena opens, and a massive robot rises. Hey, wait a second. It's Proto-Omega, rebuilt and slightly sleeker. Slightly is a huge undersell. That motherfucker emerged from and destroyed a planet with just its physical size. Okay, well, this is the thing you fought at the center of Proto-Omega. The oh, yeah, yeah there was robot. a smaller Proto-Omega yeah. inside of Proto-Omega. Yeah. I yeah. forgot that you yeah. were inside of Proto-Omega, or yeah. I would have definitely uh-huh. brought Proto-Omega that Proto-Omega was yeah. the boss. Omega System was the space station. It's the oh my robot God, that gets inside the robot. <laughs> I, I hear you like a robot. I'm going to have to make the robot do it. Yo, dog, I hear you like Proto-Omega. That's what I just said! Shut up! Fuck, I didn't hear it because you were talking over Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Bitches, I have the conk. Let me speak. (laughs) All right. Anyway. The donkey conk. (laughs) (laughs) You son of a bitch. Uh, So Alan just kind of nudges Shion and is like, I told you you'd understand when you saw it. They're calling it Omega Res Novae. None of us at Vector knows where they got the designs for it. Again. <laughs> In another were you sky. There? Were you there, Alan? No, this is an entirely other division. No, wasn't he there the last time in the last game? No, I guess not. He was still he, hanging out on no, the No, he was there. He he recognizes Proto Omega. Okay. He, he's saying they don't know where they got the specs to whip up a whole Proto Omega and elaborate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because nobody would think, oh yeah, Vector went scrounging around in the fucking trash heap of a planet. So, in another skybox, Yuli Mizrahi and scientists are looking at screens. The pilot is in stable condition. Yuli offers him comfort over the mic. One of the researchers is just like, do you think he can uh, understand us? I don't know, but I feel like it's better to say something than nothing, even if it's just so we feel better. This fight seems one-sided. Cosmos isn't down, but she isn't really making a scratch on it. And then she fucking says, fuck you, and does an enormous backflip jump kick and just, like, slams into this thing's chest. And alarms immediately start going off in Julie's little skybox. And everyone's like, oh, God, what's wrong? The pilot brainwave values are unstable. And then uh, Omega roars, like, at the end of uh, Ideon and begins firing beams all over the building rather than at its opponent. It's in like a blind rage. Cosmos then flings herself in front of one of the beams to shield the onlookers and stops responding before slamming into the glass. Just real quick, I don't feel like this is justification enough to scrap Cosmos. Like, she Mm, saved people's lives and she fucked up Proto-Omega temporarily. And yet, and yet. So- Here's the thing, right? There was never a direct comparison that this thing is strictly superior to this other thing. Yeah, but she still manages to fuck it up a little. Anyway. You know, I I really thought that when they were setting this up, they were going to have Cosmos and Telos fight, like, Mm -hmm. one-on-one. Well, that's what everyone says. Yeah. And then they don't. (laughs) Right. 
And then Yuli orders that they cut the emulator and eject the pilot, bringing this under control before it can cascade even further out. So for what it's worth, you should actually be going, wait, no, none of this makes sense at all. And if you listen closely, Roth Mantell is claiming, oh, the committee voted to scrap Cosmos. You mm. never hear Yuli talk about they took a vote or anything. So it's bullshit. This mm -hmm. was going to happen no matter what. Interesting. But anyway, speaking of Mr. Mantell, he arrives and starts trash praising Alan. <laughs> And I couldn't think of a better way to say, like, big-upping the man while trash-talking. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just, he's a smarmy fuck. And he continues to be a smarmy fuck by half-flirting with Xion. And when he gets called back to the maintenance bay, he leaves with a, hey, you want to have dinner sometime? Just <laughs> continue being a creep. <laughs> Big and fan of his vibe, to be honest. <laughs> he sucks. He sucks real bad. Uh, I know, yeah. but he sucks in a... He's, it's great, though. Yeah, he, the he way sucks, in which he sucks, I'm a huge fan. He sucks in a Chris Taylor, <laughs> Sybil Arnett way. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> can't say that to me. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> just, yeah, to, total villain vibes. This, again, like Sybil said, this is this really is the game of just, like, villains flexing their villainess. Uh, their, mm -hmm. uh, villains flexing their villainy at each other. It's great. This yeah, because there's, know, like, so many of them. There's, there's so like many of them. There's, like, five villains for every protagonist. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, every character has a dark mirror. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, as they leave... And their, and their phones are bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. as they leave Alan and Xion run into Yuli and uh, Yuli says to Xion I don't think I've seen you since the Gnosis terrorism you look well which is a very funny uh, one two <laughs> transition line like I haven't seen you since the terrorism <laughs> uh, <laughs> 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 anyway they go to uh, another room uh, on the side and Yuli says, oh, yeah, I've been working with Jin a lot. Haven't you heard? And Xi'an replies, we've had uh, trouble speaking since the incident. And Yuli responds, uh, he should be in the port, so you might as well give him a call. And Xi'an just says, I try. And then walks in a tiny baby Fei Fong Wong, which is a character I only vaguely know about because I've only played eight hours of Xenogears. But yeah, Ugh. the guy from Xenogears. Like, even I knew that. Yeah. His name in this game is Abel. We saw him exactly one time in Xenosaga episode one and never since. And this is where it becomes very clear. Oh, shit. Right. My plan in episode one was for this to be a retelling of perfect works. I need to make that happen. And so now uh -huh. Xenogear shit starts coming back in fast and furious beyond just the Zohar and the eternal wave existence and all of that. Now we've got Abel, M you know, major spoilers for Xenogears, I guess. But like, yeah, uh, Fei Fong Wong is also Abel in Xenogears. And there's a whole bunch of oh. complicated shit beyond that that I don't want to get into because people should play Xenogears or listen to a good podcast about it. You should but, watch YouTube videos about it. It's not a fun game. Uh, I think Resident Arc is doing a series on it now. And they uh, just they, finished they Oh, they just finished it. Cool. Yeah. And uh, a commenter shouted out our podcast in it. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Um, uh, yeah, that's, wait, that's, a good, uh, that's a good YouTube. Yeah. That's the thing I was mentioning the other night. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, oh, sorry. A commenter. I yeah. misheard. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Not no, no, on no. The podcast. The we didn't get a shout out on the podcast. Did not go, yo, we're cool. No. <laughs> that would <laughs> be that'd be better. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. If you have a podcast and want to shout us out, please feel free to reach out. <laughs> <laughs> we won't pay you though. I might. Anyway. Depends on the plug. <laughs> Our money real good right now. We might. Yeah. See. Uh-huh. So he came in to the room to get a marker, and when he gets it, he begins drawing on the floor and then leaves, and on the floor is a sketch of Nephilim, and this is actually pretty neat because it persists here, and every time you walk up to it, the camera, like, zooms around to look at it. Like, they actually they put a little bit of effort into, into that reveal, but yeah. Creepy, creepy kid stuff. Wow. What? What? Uh, no, Matt. Matt okay, Matt. cool. I was about to say, I rewrote this really carefully. <laughs> Matt, Matt, autistic kids are creepy. Marcus, got it. No, it's weird because it's like, because it's uh-huh. foreshadowing a kid that like, how does he know who Nephilim is? Like, that is like, that to me is like, huh, that is weird. It was not a comment on his affect. Matt Marcus, quote, able, more like ableism. <laughs> I knew that pun was coming. <laughs> I've been really trying to figure out how to work it in. Thank you for your opening, Matt. <laughs> oh my God. You're welcome. <sighs> so, I have to leave this Billy is this caretaker I? because, yeah, you do, because <laughs> he is extremely autism coded in a very realistic way, in the exact same way that my brother was. He basically has a mental lock in and can only say like a few incomplete sentences and just kind of wanders around. Later in the session, he will also still be wandering around and live in the most depressing room possible. <laughs> you only find out it's his room when you kick over his block tower. Yep. <laughs> That's so sad. God, sucks. <laughs> this game is very good about being a dick to you if you just constantly hit the explode mode button on everything, up to and including the point that a side quest later in this video, if you blow a thing up, you get no rewards. And the guy goes, hey, what the fuck? I like when you blow up those boxes that are blocking your path. First, you can talk to the guys and say, how are we going to pick this up? These are heavy. And then you blow them all up and they say, you helped us, but dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So, like, I'm kind of shocked for as ostensibly as the Xenosaga series has been about giant robots, this in Xenosaga episode three is the very first time that we get a neurodivergent kid who maybe doesn't want to control the robot is controlling the robot is getting in the robot story, which is like such a quintessential giant robot plot line that it, well, it shocked me that it took this long to make it here. It's not about giant robots, right? Like, there are giant robots in it, but it's not a giant robot property. Totally, yeah. And that, and so all of a sudden, we, for a second with Abel, become a giant robot property. And I'm, you know, thinking about Camille again. When are you not? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't hear an answer. (laughs) Because there isn't one. (laughs) Okay. At this point, scientists for the weapons are summoned back to their dev stations, and you will be informed about this for several hours if you listen to all the NPCs again. Um, Yuli says she'll get Xion temporary clearance to go visit her former team. Before leaving the room, you could grab Decoder 4 from a chest just in the middle of the room in the corner. 
I also like the one in the other room where the lady's like, I really want to open this chest, but there's <laughs> oh, yeah. someone behind me on a higher tier watching. Maybe I'll come <laughs> back later at night. Uh, <laughs> Which is like your hint of like, this place is going to be a dungeon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, before we move on, the other thing, we glossed over it, but the game implies that Yuli is the facilitator of, for communication between the committee and Abel because she mm-hmm. has explicit history with interfacing with non-communicative people but like i if i knew what that history was i would not put her in charge yeah that's that's the the whole fucking thing that's the yeah that's i i just i wanted i wanted to lampshade that a little bit to be like hey maybe a bad idea considering yuli's but yuli's 512 kinder let's go (laughs) (laughs) oh my god jesus christ chris Oh my god. What? He's not wrong. That's the problem. Yeah. That's what it would be. That's what this is like. Uh-huh. Here's the even funnier part. If you want to really read into it, they might be thinking, okay, so maybe we lose Abel, but maybe we get like a Momo version of Abel out of this. God, yeah. That's so yeah. fucked. Ooh. It's so fucked. Ugh. Yikes. <laughs> there was also a plot of that in not Pied Piper, uh, The Lost Year, there was someone trying to make a decoy Nephilim. So yeah, mm, that happens I, a lot in this galaxy. We, did, we didn't talk about it, but I love Momo's little beret. It's the best. Yeah, it's a good she beret. She hasn't showed up in the game yet. That's why we haven't discussed it. Is that true? Yeah, no. That's she true. Has. We only heard her voice while she was in the robot. That's true. Okay. Yeah, 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 we're she, only she's seeing in the robot. her when she arrives later. Man, her fucking break attack is so sick. Oh, the ice? Yeah. Go on, we're done. I finished reading. You didn't read anything about the tip. And do I have to? Fine. Serious tip. Anytime. You, no. <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> I'm making the Virgil jerk off motion at you right now, buddy. <laughs> anytime. Uh, hot tip. Anytime you get a big cutscene dump like this and get teleported around in between gameplay, just look for chests or like segment addresses of the area. Since there is so little gameplay. They definitely just have to put all the rewards here in order to maintain a sense of progression. So there's always a chest everywhere. Mm-hmm. On the way to the basement, Shion <laughs> calls sorry. out. Go for it. <laughs> I was say, there's always a chest everywhere. Forty nine percent of the time. God, I wish. <laughs> On the way to the basement, Shion calls out the exit stationed at checkpoints. Since this is a military testing ground and there are Gnosis attacks on the rise, nobody is leaving anything to chance. She actually calls out, recognizing one of the models as a VX-7000, the the unit Junior piloted in the first game. SMF said Junior. Yeah, I did. (laughs) So this is... This is weird to me that they explicitly mention Gnosis terrorism still being on the rise when Grimoire is dead. It feels like a shady justification on Vector's part. That's what it is! Yeah. That's what it is. The second take... Buddy, you you live through 9-11. The second yeah. any terrorism happens, you call everything terrorism to justify an expansion of, like, government control, which is exactly what they're doing with this. Yes. Well, I, I guess, I guess uh, yeah. they're... I guess they're also tying together the Gnosis terrorism with just the Gnosis expansion taking over planets and shit. Yes, because when yes. you call it terrorism, you could do whatever you want. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, because this is a podcast, I wanted to make that subtext text. Correct. 
Yeah. I don't think the public knows Gnosis terrorism was controlled by a ghost in the UMN that had links to Vector. So as a result, they just say the attacks are now circling in rather than being targeted. Mm hmm. Because, yeah, the news is constantly talking about a hundred star systems have lost contact. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus fucking everyone is so nonchalant about it. <laughs> This is Armageddon on any scale. Yeah. yeah. And, and people you know, are like, oh, man, that's a bummer. Because of that, this is the only time I was not mad when they said, oh, also the Merkaba is our colonialism ship. And I'm like, to be fair, probably needs some new places to live, given how it's going. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. And it's also, you know, me. This <laughs> this is climate change where we see um, the world collapsing in around us and we're just trying to be like, well, uh, maybe we should try to live good lives and kind of be vaguely afraid of this existential threat forever. But, you know, still carry on like normal. Don't forget to recycle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't forget to life recycle. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, when they arrive in the maintenance area... Still no Cosmos. She's being repaired. But that made me very mad. That made me so (laughs) mad. Cosmos is always out for fucking maintenance. Uh. Cosmos is controllable and playable in surprisingly a small amount of the series. Mm -hmm. Yep. She's out like 60% of the time, at least. Yeah. Chris, that's going to carry forward in this game. Good. Just (laughs) warning you. Actually, not good, because I'll have Cosmos in my playable party a lot. Bad, actually. uh, Maybe don't build your party around Cosmos in this one. Too late. Already did. Why Why well, would they give you a cool robot and then say, don't use the cool robot? It's fine. Ziggy is interchangeable for her as a tank, and you don't get points reduction on reserve characters. You get full points, so that's fine. Oh, did not know yeah. that. No, they're, they're very good about allowing you to swap things, and part of that is because this game pulls a Digital Devil Saga 2 and rips chunks of your party out for hours at a time. Mm. So they have to make sure everyone can be feasible depending on who you built. It is really shitty, though, because then all of a sudden you have to suddenly reconfigure an entire party with the people that you have just doing like hours worth of character progression instantly. Oh, uh. it sucks bad, especially once you start. Especially if you into... do it wrong in front of the boss. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Yeah. Ooh. Anyway, speaking of development, Xion gets all mopey that everyone has left her behind, what with their continuing to be employed and progressing up the ranks. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this was, this was... You this quit was, your job! Shut up! Yes, it was six I know, months this ago. Was, this was so fucking hypocritical. It's just like, listen, I left voluntarily, but also I feel sad and left out that you guys are all carrying on without me. It's just like, ugh, so immature, Xion. I can't believe you all didn't become terrorists. <laughs> Which they don't know yet. That's even better. Yeah. So it just seems like they're like, oh, yeah, the boss quit her job. And uh, she's one of those sickos who doesn't know how to vacation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as she prepares to leave in a depressive funk, Alan chases her down and goes, y- you want to go to a restaurant tomorrow while you're on planet? Sure. Oh, I knew you'd be busy. No, no, I'm free. What? Yeah, I'm unemployed. Of course I've got all day. So... So happy he finally shoots his shot. I was like, uh-huh. I, even even though I know that it's not going to come of anything because it's a Xeno saga, I was so happy that he finally got off the confidence. I was like, yell! Hell yeah, Alan! Yeah. Hell uh-huh. yeah! Al- Alan has developed a lot, right? Yeah. Like, the way he yeah. interacts with Xion and everyone else is very different. It, like, mm-hmm. clearly changed by, like, being put into leadership and is more confident. 
Big yeah. fan so, of that. So, real talk. The best comparison for Alan in Western media is if you have seen Moonlight, oh. where the instant we return to the guy he knew as a kid, he's stuttering again, etc. But everyone else knows him as this confident leader who can step up and fix problems. But he goes around his crush again, and it's like, yo, I'm I'm a teenager again. I stutter. Mm-hmm. But he still has enough confidence to actually like do the thing this time. He's stuttering and nervous, but he did the thing, and I'm happy for him. Hi, y'all. We're splitting this episode in half, so please tune in next time where we will actually get to the dungeon of the cat testing grounds. For plugs, you can check out our anime podcasts, Boku No Stop. There is a free feed where we are still covering Monster, and for our backers, there is the season where we just started Jujutsu Kaisen. For Sybil's projects, you can go to hellscaper.com and check all of those out. Ryan is currently updating their music projects, URLs, and websites, so we will update you as soon as those are ready. However, you can check them out with Chris on the Final Fantasy XIV podcast, Icons and Icons, which is for backers only. Thank you, and uh, we'll see you next time.